Well, good morning, Christ Bible Church. Uh, what a wonderful day to gather with all of you as we sing to our Lord and we hear his word. Uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Randy. I'm one of the uh, pastors here, and I am so glad that you are here to join us as we get to hear the word of God and praise his name as we gather together. Uh, this morning, uh, we will be starting the book of 2 Timothy, and as Zach mentioned, we have these journals. Uh, so if you do not have one or you haven't grabbed one yet, this would be a great time uh, to grab one really quick so you can take notes as we move through the book of 2 Timothy over the next uh, few weeks. Uh, but before we dive in and read the first seven verses this morning, I want to set the stage for us. Uh, I'm a camper. I love to camp. I've grown up camping. Uh, but there's one thing I hate doing when camping, and it's starting the fire. I don't want to sit there. I don't want to blow on the little smoldering thing and wave a piece of paper around to try to get this fire into a flame. No, that's not how I was raised. How the Short family started fires is we took several gallons of gasoline, we poured it on top of the wood, sometimes you even made a line that made some kind of design in the ground, and then you would light that and see some big explosion, and hopefully there would be enough gas that the fire would actually go. It wasn't perfect, it didn't always work, but if it didn't work, you just tried it over again, and it was more fun. It was an adventure. But proper fire starting, the kind that Smokey the Bear would be proud of, requires tedious, annoying work. You have to encourage the fire, gently injecting air into that small little smoldering ash until it grows and grows. And then once that fire is started, you have to maintain and care for it, that it might provide the warmth that you need as you're camping, and even some good ashes to roast marshmallows over. And as we open the book of 2 Timothy, I paint this picture for us because this is what Paul is doing with his dear friend and protege, Timothy. He's a mentor, indeed a friend, and the Apostle Paul here is caring for and encouraging Timothy, helping him to keep going and to pursue Jesus in his life. The Apostle Paul knows that there's no magic gas can he can just throw onto Timothy to cause the explosion of faith and to keep it going. He knows that Timothy is going to require constant encouragement and care to keep up the slow and steady work of Christian living and preaching the gospel. Why is this encouragement necessary as we get into the book of 2 Timothy? Well, we need to understand the situation that the book is written in, the background of what's going on. This book is the last letter written by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. It's his last words of encouragement to both Timothy specifically, but even to the church then and now today more generally. And what we know about the situation is that the Apostle Paul, at this point in his life, finds himself in jail and about to be executed. He writes somewhere between the years 66 and 68 while sitting in prison, awaiting what he is convinced and will be shown to be true, his death for his faith. He writes well after the great fire of Rome had taken place, which started widespread persecution for Christians across the Roman Empire. And so the church, as a result, is under siege. It's under siege because people are arresting Christians for belief. It's under siege because Christians, as they are arrested, some of them are recanting the faith and turning away from God. For Timothy, who is still pastoring in Ephesus, 
who is still preaching, he not only faces these threats, but is also dealing with those pesky false teachers that we had in 1 Timothy. There's a threat from outside and inside towards the people of faith. Paul notes and writes knowing that because of his situation in prison and the global situation facing the church at large and even the specific situation facing Timothy in Ephesus, his protege and dear dear friend is facing great discouragement. The Apostle Paul writes to encourage his friend to keep up the good fight and to boldly work for Jesus even now. This is the backdrop to the letter. Two men, both facing seemingly impossible tasks because of their high calling, finding encouragement in Jesus because of the circumstances they find themselves in. And what we will see as we begin reading this morning is we have this thing called gospel friendship. Gospel friendship between Paul and Timothy as they walk alongside of each other and point each other towards Jesus. And I suspect that as we gather this morning, that there are many in here who could use this type of relationship in their life. Many people who look out and don't see somebody that cares for them like Paul cares for Timothy and Timothy cares for Paul. And we read this morning, and I would encourage us that as God's people, we should not only seek this kind of relationship, but indeed we should expect this kind of relationship. But I must ask, why do so many people today, so many Christians, confess Jesus but find themselves so lonely, isolated, and without genuine friendships today? One reason is that they don't see friendship as all that important. Much like a modern view of marriage, many people view friendship only in what it brings to the individual. So if there isn't a benefit in fulfilling personal needs or bringing some type of joy to their life, it's not worth the time and energy to pursue those friendships. Worse, they're constantly moving and relocating, and so the time it spends to develop genuine relationships just isn't worth the investment if in three years, in five years, I'm just going to move to another part of the city or another state. But we should see this this morning and see the way that God cares for his people by the relationships that they have. We should see this idea that friendship is a a pouring out of oneself and has a direct correlation to the way somebody sees Jesus. For Timothy and Paul, their gospel friendship, as we begin to read this morning, is marked by a constant care and concern for the other one that has nothing to do with their own personal advancement. And what we will see is an example of the way that God uses friendship to help his people ultimately grow closer to him. And so, let's read and dive in. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I might be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, 
a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the encouragement that we get from the gospel, from the good news of what it means to hold fast to you. And we thank you for the way that you sustain us, Lord, even through the community and personal relationships that we have with other believers. And so we pray as we gather as your people, Lord, that you would help us to be people who seek the joy of Christian friendship, who seek the joy and the good grace that you want to give us to help us in this long path of Christian living ahead of us. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, who apart from him, none of this would be possible. We would be without hope and without purpose, and yet because of Christ, we come together, we come from all walks of life, and we can join together in a common mission to love and follow you and to see it through to the very end. And so, Father, we thank you that we can gather. We pray this morning that as your word is expounded on, as I get to explain and and help bring out the text to us, Lord, that it wouldn't just be words of man, but that we would have the power of the Spirit working to convict us and shape us and encourage us as we gather as your people this morning. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Two things this morning as we break this section apart. First, gospel friendship is from God. Two, gospel friendship points to God. So what do I mean by gospel friendship? I'm going to use this term several times throughout this morning, or even more broadly, we could say a gospel relationship. What I mean is this is the type of relationship or friendship that two people share because of their common faith. Now, this is a unique relationship apart from any other relationship in the world because it, by nature, will always have the same goal for both people. A gospel relationship, a gospel friendship seeks ultimately to help each other grow in confidence of Jesus and what he's done and even what he has promised. That's what drives this relationship forward. That is what helps to sustain it, why there's always this community and connectiveness that can't always happen in other relationships. And as Paul writes this morning, as we noted, he writes on the edge of the precipice of his execution. But how does he write if we look at verse 1? He writes, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. And what we see as the text begins to open up is that when we understand what Jesus has done, it changes the way we relate to those that are around us who are in the same fight and pursuing the same goal. To the Apostle Paul, everything in his life was something that flowed from God. Even his relationship with Timothy, his mission, his current circumstances, all of it found their origin to God. And so he writes to his dear friend to encourage him when he's certain he's never going to escape prison. He writes, and everything that is happening according to the will of God. This is grounding for the Apostle Paul. 
What would sustain Paul was knowing that he was living according to God's sovereign will and that nothing could detract him from the life that was promised in Jesus. His hope in God and the promise of what Jesus has promised him for the life that is in Jesus is what makes this kind of relationship between Paul and Timothy even possible. Apart from God, Paul would be miserable. But he can greet Timothy here as the book opens up with grace, mercy, peace, indeed a hopefulness, because he knows the one from whom all things flow. Paul is founded in God, sees all things coming from God, even this relationship with Timothy. And so for Paul, this relationship that he has is a gift that brings him joy even in the midst of trials. And it is something that Paul knows is ultimately from God. Gospel friendship comes from God. Therefore, Paul writes to his friend and he wants to not just thank God, but encourage Timothy. And he writes, how does he write? In verse 3, with a clear conscience. This might seem like an odd thing to put right at the beginning. I write with a clear conscience. Like, well, do you need to confess something? Why are you telling us that you have a clear conscience? Usually when people say, I have a clear conscience, that means they don't, right? Like, so we read this and say, what is going on? Why would he just interject this right at the beginning of his letter when he writes to his friend to encourage him to express the thanksgiving that he has for Timothy, for what Timothy is doing and praying and his tears and his faith and all these things that we will see as we continue on. But Paul writes knowing the end is right in front of him. And if we are honest, when circumstances are really bad in our life, it's easy to second-guess ourselves. Is this some kind of punishment for me? Have I not been faithful enough to God that he is bringing all of this down on me? Is there something I should have done differently? We second-guess ourselves over and over and over. But Paul is writing his friend in the worst of circumstances, saying, I have no doubts that I haven't done what is right. I have a clear conscience. What I have done for God and because of the calling of God, I sit here in prison with no second guessing, with no worry. Did I do something to deserve this? Timothy needs to hear this from Paul. What does he need as he's facing all of this, as his closest friend is in prison? Most likely what he needs is encouragement. He needs encouragement to not give in to that temptation to begin to blame himself for the circumstances that are affecting his church, his friend, or even those that are closest to him. Timothy has not experienced, it appears, the overwhelming success of ministry that he might have envisioned. What is happening in the church at large? We mentioned the false teachers, still at it. People are leaving the church, whether because they're thrown in prison or because as they are arrested and investigated, they're renouncing their, face, their faith in the face of persecution. The church is not exploding like Timothy might have envisioned as everybody hears this good news of Jesus and we're celebrating. No, it is a long and dreary work that Timothy is facing. It would be so easy for Timothy then to give in to discouragement. To say, Lord, am I not doing something right? Did you actually call me to be a pastor? Why, oh Lord, do I suffer the way that I suffer? 
And so Paul writes to his friend, reminding him, one, all things are coming from God. I write according to the will of God, but I write in a worse circumstance than you, Timothy, and I write with no second guessing of my calling. Paul reminds his friend that what he is doing is from God. Paul has no doubt in the goodness of God, not attributing bad circumstances to a lack of faith, but attributing all circumstances to the will of God. God is going to work, and Paul will do all that he can till his last breath to the best of his abilities to bring glory and honor to his Savior. Timothy must do the same. And so, as Paul writes, he reminds Timothy here that the purity of moral and spiritual awareness, a clean conscience, is something that accompanies faithful gospel service, not because people are approving of you or you have good circumstances in your life, but because God stands behind those who trust in him. So as Timothy is laboring, as he's not experiencing perhaps the success he had dreamed of, as he's full of fear and doubt, Paul wants his dear friend to know, work for the Lord. He will take care of you. It doesn't matter if people approve of you, if these pesky false teachers stop what they're doing. What matters is if you are faithful to the calling that God has put on your life. You can have purity, uh, purity in the sense of awareness of both your morality and your spiritual awareness if you are just faithful to God. You can have confidence. Gospel friendship is from God. Gospel friendship is one of those things that God gives us as a source of encouragement for the Christian. God does not expect his people to go at it alone. One of the greatest myths that we hear all over today is this sense of individual Christianity. I just need Jesus and my Bible, and it will be all good for me. That it could not be further from the truth. One of the ways that God sustains his people is through relationships with other Christians. It's a grace of God that we have friendships with other believers to encourage us, to rebuke us perhaps from time to time. God does not expect his people to go at it alone. And in fact, if they do, they are on a spiritually dangerous path. God gives his people other people to help them. And so Paul here has experienced this. And he thanks God because he remembers one of these people that God has brought into his life as a source of encouragement, as he remembers both the tears and the faith of Timothy. Gospel friendship is a gift of God meant to encourage his apostle and even us today. And indeed, there's a sense of mutual encouragement that we see as this text is uh, coming before us this morning. These two men, as they share their sorrows, their burdens, and their hope in Christ with one another, this is the type of relationship that you cannot have without being invested in one another. Right? This isn't the kind of relationship where the Apostle Paul is like, hey, Timothy, this is going on, and Timothy's like, hey, great, I'll pray for you. Right? And he goes on his way. We hear that all the time. Right? The, I'll pray for you. Do we actually pray? You know, 15%, 20% of the time, if we're really good Christians, the people that we say we pray for, we pray for. No, this is a deep connection between Paul and Timothy. They share their burdens with each other. And this is so 
clear as Paul writes, he says, day and night, I remember what? I remember your tears. I remember the level of care that you have for me, Timothy, and it encourages me. I give thanks to God for this. We might step back here and ask, who do we have in our lives that we shed tears over? Who do we have a kind of relationship here, like Paul and Timothy, that we don't just look at their life and say, man, that's really sad when bad things happen, but we shed tears because genuinely the level of connection and the care for for one another that we have is so deep that when they suffer, we suffer, right? It's not a Sarah McLaughlin, you know, commercial that comes on with some dog that doesn't look like it's been fed in three weeks. In the arms of an angel, right? You know what I'm talking about. And then we're, oh, that's so sad. I feel so bad for you. No, this is the type of care that we have for another person that when they go through hard times, we don't just feel bad because they're doing hard times. We feel bad because we feel that burden in our own lives, Too often, we miss out on the good grace of gospel friendship because we don't have time or are not willing to open ourselves up to others. So we hide in our shells. We never actually allow anyone to come into our lives to help bear our burdens. We just simply say, like, it's all good. You know, God's going to sustain me. Things are good. Trusting in Jesus, whatever other cliche Christian term we're going to throw out. And instead of saying, you know what, I need help. I need somebody to walk with me. I need somebody who's truly going to know me inside and out. This is how God has designed his people to live in relationship with one another. God wants to give us gospel friendships. God wants to give us people in our lives to live in community with that we can shed tears for. When people show this type of care for one another, it always results in encouragement. And it would cause us to be like Paul, even in, the, even in the midst of terrible circumstances, to be thankful to God because he has people like this in his life. It's a source of encouragement. But it's not just the tears of Timothy that Paul is thankful for and reminded of. Paul also finds joy and comfort in the faith of Timothy and reminds Timothy that Timothy's faith is indeed an encouragement to him. There is a special type of joy that happens in our lives when we see someone we've spent time with grow in their relationship with God. When we look at them and say, wow, look at all that God has done in your life. Look at the encouragement that you have. For those of us that are parents, we see this with our kids. As our kids grow and begin to understand faith and confess Christ, it is a tremendous encouragement to us. It's a special type of joy as we see those that we've poured into have a dedication and a commitment to Jesus. It brings encouragement. And so Paul reminds Timothy that as Timothy is sad because of Paul's situation and all that's facing him, Timothy's continued commitment to Jesus, his faith and his labors serve as a source of encouragement for Paul. And then Paul goes on to remind Timothy of this faith. It's a generational faith. One that was from his grandmother Lois and then his mother Eunice and now flows from Timothy to so many others in Ephesus. This is a type of devotion to God and faith that Timothy has. A source of great encouragement to the Apostle Paul. And Paul wants to remind Timothy as he might be doubting himself of this kind of faith that he has. 
And as we see this transition in the text starting to take place, we see that gospel friendship, this relationship between these two men, is not only from God, but ultimately gospel friendship or relationship points to God. Paul is now transitioning from saying, Timothy, I thank God for all these things. I'm encouraged by you. Now he's starting to point his dear friend back to Jesus. Paul wants to encourage just as Timothy has served as a source of encouragement for him. And he wants to remind Timothy that as every good gift comes from God, everything in life ultimately should point back to God. Timothy doesn't need to look any further than his own family for that. And as a quick aside, we should see here, parents, grandparents, the greatest gift you could possibly give to those in your family that follow behind you is the gift of gospel relationship. To model Jesus to your children, to your grandchildren, to your nieces and nephews, whoever it is in your family that you have, to be the kind of person that is bringing them into Jesus, to pointing them towards Jesus, that others in their life might say, just like your aunt or your uncle or your father or your grandfather served Jesus, I also see that in you. And so when those people begin to face hard times and doubt their situation or maybe even doubt God, they have this anchoring and this reminder of what is going on in their life. Parents, if you want a good resource to do this, if you go uh, online right now to gospelcoalition.org, it's a website, they have a bunch of articles there. If you click on any single one article at the very bottom, they are giving out a free ebook called Family Discipleship right now. If you want to figure out a good path, a beginning path forward of just starting this process, what it means to pass down generational faith, that would be a great place to start, and it's totally free. Just click on the link, they'll put your email in, and they'll send you a PDF or ebook or whatever you want. But we should hear this, see this, this encouragement from Paul, this passing down of ancestral faith, and say, this is a good thing. How can I do this? How can I leave a legacy behind me? Lois and Eunice have indeed left a legacy in their grandson and son, Timothy, because of their commitment to Jesus. The faith of Timothy is the same faith that they possessed. It's an ancient faith. And so when Timothy is faced with these who are false teachers, when he's faced with difficult circumstances, he is reminded even here that what he teaches isn't some brand new thing as the false teachers bring accusations that he perhaps has misunderstood the gospel or Jesus or any of these other things. Timothy can say, no, 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 my faith is the faith of my mother, of my grandmother, the same faith that the apostle Paul had appealed to in verse Three, when he says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. We have the ancient faith, Timothy. I see it in you. I know what God has done. Understanding for Timothy where he came from will serve to help him stay anchored. A good gospel friend is helping to point Timothy evermore towards Jesus. And ultimately, what is the Apostle Paul saying here? He is saying that he does not question or doubt the sincerity of Timothy's faith, and Timothy shouldn't either. When we enter into those seasons of our lives where we begin to lose our bearings, we need friends like Paul to point us back to our identity, to help us stay properly oriented. When someone struggles with identity and they ask, who am I? What do I actually believe? What's important in life? 
the relationships that are around them help to remind them and guide them in those moments. This is why gospel friendship and relationships are so important. Because when people inevitably have those questions come up in their life, if we have surrounded ourselves with people who love Jesus, who trust Jesus, they help us keep our priorities focused. They help us to keep our eyes on the only one who can truly sustain us. This is what Paul is doing. He's pointing Timothy ever more back to God. I know who you are, Timothy. I know what you believe, Timothy. A gospel friendship points somebody to God. And Paul is sure, as he writes, that the same good faith of Lois and Eunice is evident in living in Timothy as well. And we should ask ourselves here, how would somebody describe us? If you went to a neighbor or a coworker or even a spouse uh, and said, hey, give me five sentences, describe me. Tell me, write what you think my identity is. How would they describe you? This is a big part of the legacy that you're leaving behind. If they describe you in all these other things and your relationship with God either is not there or it's at the bottom of the list, maybe this is a call for you this morning to be reoriented, to say, what is of primary importance in my life? Is it my faith to Jesus or is it these peripheral things uh, going on? Paul wants Timothy to go to Jesus. And we should note here that identity doesn't just come from family history. There are many in this room this morning, I know, who did not have the wonderful and gracious gift of a Christian home to grow up in. That doesn't mean you're any worse off or a lesser Christian, but there is still an encouragement for you this morning as you hear about this ancestral faith that Paul is reminding Timothy of to look and see, I can start this same legacy. Just because a person is raised in a Christian home doesn't mean they will necessarily be a Christian. But it is important to see Lois and Eunice have done something to pass on their faith to Timothy. They have encouraged him. They have shaped him. And as we raise our kids, there's no guarantee that our kids are going to grow up to love the Lord. But we can have confidence that God will take care of them if we just simply trust God and model God to them. Christianity is not an inherited thing, right? It's not in our genes or DNA, right? Contrary to what some might believe, just because you are born a Christian in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian. Every person must experience the regeneration of the heart that comes from Jesus and respond in personal faith. There are moments in our life to remind us of this. And as the text comes to a close, Paul now is focusing in on one of those in verse 6. Let's read it together. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Before we look at this as a way of gospel encouragement, we have to actually decide what this even is. And as I spent time going through, I read a lot of different commentaries this week, there's a lot of opinions on what this is. What is the gift of God and what is the laying on of hands in this procession of the gift that Timothy has from Paul? And I will say this, we're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but there's two options. One It's a very straightforward reading of the text. The gift 
that is in play here is simply the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when Paul writes to Timothy here and says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Fan into flame the Holy Spirit, the regeneration, the Christian life that is in you, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. But then there's another view of this. The other thing is, this is a specific gift, a gift of the Spirit, not just the Spirit, but a specific gift of the Spirit. And so for us, we would read and say, those that argue this other one, to say this is the gift of preaching or teaching that Timothy uniquely has as he's been called and set apart from the people uh, to be the pastor of this church, to explain God's word and to teach the gospel to other people. And this was something that when Paul laid hands on Timothy, he had this kind of commencement and honored him and set him apart, consecrated him for this work. And so we ask, which is it? It's difficult to say. And I would say this, regardless of what interpretation we take, the outworking of this is exactly the same. Whether it's a life generally lived as a Christian that Paul is encouraging Timothy to do, or it's specifically the gift of preaching that Timothy has Timothy is to remember who he is and ultimately who has empowered him for the life ahead of him. However, I do believe that the gift in view here is the specific gift of preaching and teaching that Timothy possesses uniquely as someone who has been called to be a pastor. And so Paul is instructing his young friend to not forget that which he has been set apart to do. Rather than be complacent, Timothy must continue to fan the flame of his gift his calling, which was in him and confirmed in him through the laying on of Paul's hand. The second laying on of hands does provide some confusion today, right? What is this laying on of hands to bring gifts on people? Some have read this and interpreted this to mean that apart from the laying on of hands, there is no passing of spiritual gifts. There's no Holy Spirit that comes into people's lives. And so it's very, very important to have a literal hand on somebody to make sure that they are Christians and they get the things that God has for him. The other view, and the view that I think is in view here, is that the laying on of hands is a type of ceremony, a consecration that is happening where Timothy, because of the Apostle Paul, and everybody's view of the Apostle Paul is an apostle that has been given to the church by God to establish churches and to bring the gospel to the nations, had at some point in his time in front of this church, consecrated Timothy to be the pastor, to lay hands on him, so that everybody could see this is the man God has called. This is the man God has empowered to teach here in Ephesus. Paul's not passing on some type of spiritual power by laying hands on Timothy, or he's injecting him with the secret sauce of preaching. No, what is he doing? He is saying, Timothy, there is a consecration happening. There's examples of this, such as Numbers 27. If you go there, this is a story of Moses and Joshua. When Moses is getting ready to exit the scene as the leader of the people, and Joshua is coming on the scene as the leader of people, what does Moses do? What is he commanded by God to do? To lay hands on, jo on Joshua, to pray for him, so that the people can see this is the man God has chosen to lead the people in the next period of life. I think this is what is happening in the reference here in verse 6 and verse 7. Paul has at some point in his life laid hands on Timothy and has consecrated him for the work ahead. And he now appeals, which is why I think it is this 
this interpretation because he is reminding Timothy of who he is. When his identity is in question, our friends and those who are around us helpfully point to specific times in our life where it's clear. And Paul is saying, remember, Timothy, who you were. You were not just the son of Eunice, the grandson of Lois, but you were a man uniquely set apart by God as confirmed by me for the work in Ephesus to preach and to teach the gospel to those people. And so when you doubt God, is, am I really the one that's supposed to be here? When he faces those difficult seasons of pastoral ministry where nobody seems to like him, where there's nothing but complaints coming at him, he is to be reminded that he uniquely has been set apart for this work for these people. Gospel friends remind us of our identity. They don't remind us just of our identity in Jesus but then as he gets to verse 7, they remind us of the power to live out that identity. What is happening for Timothy as we come to a close this morning? Paul says, Timothy, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Many have read this and conclude there must be something wrong with Timothy. But just because somebody encourages you doesn't mean that something's wrong in your life. Paul knows that Timothy is facing great resistance in the days and months and years ahead. And the temptation to give in to fear, to give in to doubt, will indeed be great. Paul knows all people are prone to discouragement, and there are unique seasons of discouragement certainly facing Timothy in that exact moment and even in the days ahead. He wants to point his friend to Jesus, to the one who will sustain him, empower him, and equip him to do that which he has been called to do. God will work through Timothy, and his good friend is pointing him to Jesus, saying, Timothy, look at what you have been given. Look at who you are. Run to Jesus and work not out of fear, but out of power and of self-control. Interesting, Paul doesn't give us what it means to fan the flame. He doesn't say, this is how you, five ways to fan the flame, Timothy, in your life. No, he just says fan the flame. But the metaphor is clear. And just like that pesky campfire, Timothy must work diligently, patiently, constantly to live out the reality of who he is and what God has called him to do. Not by his own power, but by God's power. And if he remembers this, he will find himself even as persecution is unfolding all around him, not in a state of fear, but living and working out of the abundance of the grace that God has for him. And so this morning we should leave and we should resolve to live out our Christian identity, not in fear, not in our own power, but in a sense of who we truly are. We are Christians. We belong to each other. We are meant to encourage each other and push us forward towards life with Jesus. We have been indwelt with the Holy Spirit who will help us with the tasks ahead. Go to Jesus. Find people around you who will not discourage you to look away from Jesus, but will push you constantly forward to rest in Jesus and be anchored in his strength. In his strength. Let us resolve to be people who pursue and experience God's good grace of gospel friendship. A few questions as we finish this morning. Question number one to ask as you leave today, do I have a gospel friendship in my life today? 
right? This might be the one thing. You might not have anybody who you feel like knows Jesus or even knows you in your life. And if you don't, find somebody. Just meander around the church and start talking to people after service. Don't leave until you find at least one person that you might be able to have coffee with or hang out with. Number two, what is my identity? Who would those that are around me truly say that I am? Number three, what does your life bring to those that are around you? Are you being the gospel friend that you are called to be, to be be somebody who knows everything they have is from Jesus and everything that you do is pointing to Jesus? And finally, where in your life are you currently prone to fear instead of faith? Where in your life are you prone to fear and you need the encouragement from the Apostle Paul, from Scripture, from a good friend to live not in fear, but in the power and the strength of Jesus this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the grace of community, that we are not people who are alone, but people who get to live amongst other Christians. And Lord, we know in this current day and age, it's so difficult to develop genuine, deep, authentic friendships. But Lord, we pray that just as you use Timothy to serve as a source of encouragement for Paul and Paul for Timothy, Lord, that you would be bringing people into our lives that we might have gospel friendships, that we might have people who encourage us to follow you, to trust you, to remind us of who we are, and to push us forward in our faith and sanctification as we seek to live for you all of our days. Father, let us not give in to a state of fear, even today as the world swirls around us, as we see indeed persecution and terrorism taking place. Lord, let us not have a fixation on the fear that that brings, but Lord, live out of confidence in you and in your desires for us. Fill us with the sense of your presence, Lord. Sustain us. Give us those things that you promise. Let us have that hope of life in Christ Jesus. We ask this in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.